0: You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us as we jump into our series, Keeping It 100, Ancient Wisdom from 1 Corinthians. Whether it be polarization, division, arrogance, sexuality, personal freedoms, or the truth of eternity, the Apostle Paul didn't shy away from difficult topics. Join us as we keep it real and learn how to live authentically in the modern world with age-old problems. If you had the answers to these questions, how different would your world be? We're excited to see what God is going to do in your story. Get ready. God is on the move.
1: Would you give it up for all of our guests that are here today in all of our locations? I'm so thankful. And then, uh, and I want to invite you uh, as you have uh, come to church today, you've actually stepped into a brand new series that we're called Keeping It 100. And on your way out today, you're going to receive one of these booklets. And in the booklet, There's a discussion guide, if you will, that we intend for you to gather with other believers, hopefully through Connect Groups, and you'll see people with Connect Group t-shirts, and you can ask them a question as well if you aren't interested in getting involved. But we want you to to have a conversation about the messages each week, and do it with other people, not just in theater religion in a Sunday morning service where you hear me talk. But to process it out loud with other people, man, it will make such a difference in your story, and I hope that you take advantage of that. All right, let's get started on part one of keeping it 100. Turn to the person next to you and say, you better keep it 100. (laughs) All right. Uh, We have a a practice uh, on the staff here at Emmanuel in the meetings that I lead and the various sessions that we do. You know, We don't just do church on Sunday. Uh, but our staff works during the week prepping and planning and preparing for the various ministries that we're in. So we'll have group meetings, and in the meetings I'm in, one of the things that I'll ask for is I'll say, hey, listen, give me your final 10% of truth, which simply means if you're withholding something, you would say, but you're not sure if it might hurt somebody's feelings or uh, you're not sure how it will go over, that's valuable information to the rest of the group. We want you to give your final 10%. We want you to say what you're thinking. In Minnesota, we're a little bit passive-aggressive by nature, and so we don't always say what we're thinking to the person. We might say it to somebody else about other people. We might say something to to someone else. We might even post it and do a little, like, sub-posting against people or whatever. But within the context of a meeting and for a team to succeed, it requires everybody giving their final 10% of truth. And I think it's a valuable thing for all of us, no matter if it hurts somebody's feelings. When somebody says the truth, it actually helps us be a better version of who we could be. Proverbs 27, verse 5 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You know, there's some valuable information hidden sometimes that actually could benefit us And in this series, we're going to listen to the full 100 wisdom from the Apostle Paul. Paul, as he communicates to a church in a city called Corinth. And this church was a church that he had started or planted, then moved on to start other churches. Paul really spent time thinking about this this church. He loved this church. He loved the people of this church. You know, church plants are the way that God sends his gospel into the world. That's how he, we reach new people, church planting or starting churches. This church was started in 1963. I'm glad it was started by somebody, aren't you? And every year, we get to support through Kingdom Builders church plants locally and around the world. In fact, this very day, there's a church starting in, in uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area that we're helping to support as they intend to reach people that aren't being reached currently. And that new church is going to be an amazing church. We're also uh, helping a church plant in North Minneapolis coming up very soon called the Fruit Church. And Pastor Tom Line. very excited about supporting that. That's because that's the way the gospel reaches new people. Listen, we don't need less churches. We need more churches. We're not in a competition with anybody else. We want God to move all over the world. We want more people to know Christ. So Paul goes into this city called Corinth. And he plants a church because it was a dark city, if you will, and it needed the light. Let me tell you a little bit about Corinth. Corinth is the the richest port and the largest city in southern Greece. This powerful commercial center easily became the meeting place for people from all over the world who journeyed there to trade and live. In fact, at the height of its population, it consisted of approximately 700,000 people which was huge for those ancient times. It drew from an eclectic array of nationalities and cultures. Corinth was a natural place for the pursuit of pleasure, immorality, and various forms of idolatry to flourish. And one of its main temples, devoted to the worship of a god called Aphrodite, had more than a thousand priestesses who engaged in prostitution as an act of worship. To live as a Corinthian, Meant that you had this all around you. It also meant that you were probably living in luxury because this was a place of great commerce and wealth. The people of the city considered themselves educated and refined and affluent beyond most. They had an insatiable lust for fame and money and power that ran rampant, just as it does in the world today. Paul cares deeply about this church that was planted with a mission to reach people. Listen, we don't plant churches in just easy places. We plant churches in the place where it's hard and it's difficult because people need Jesus. And so Paul goes and he plants this church not because he wants to say, this city is terrible. And point the finger at everybody that is not living for God or serving other gods. That's not the purpose of the church. The mission of the church was to bring the light into the city. Because those same people that were raised in the culture, if they found Jesus, they get the benefits of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he starts this church and then he leaves to go plant another church because that's what Paul did. And while he's away, he writes letters back to his church. He hears, through correspondence and through people that visited the church in Corinth, news back about how the church was doing. And in that report, he hears that the community he left behind was in trouble. There were divisions and sexual immorality and pride and anger and legal fights, between believers and selfishness and worship and confusion about doctrine and a whole lot more. So Paul isn't going to withhold his final 10% of truth as he sends a letter that's meant to be read by everyone in the church. He's gonna be keeping it 100. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, go over there with me, if you will. It's also in the Emmanuel MN app. This is what he says. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, what is Paul addressing? We see it right out of the gate. He's addressing division. Division is divided vision. It's separate and competing visions. What are we about and what are we trying to do? One group would say it's this. Another group would say it's something different. And they were fighting each other. There was a tug of war, a fight of teammate against teammate. You know that when there is a division, nothing gets accomplished. When there's two visions, that's division. Nothing gets done. Now, all of a sudden, sideways energy is spent on trying to fight other people instead of doing the mission that we're called to do. This happens in marriage. When a couple gets together and they're first married and they love each other, and it's like, hey, boo-boo, I love you. But later on in life, through time... Now they have a different picture of what, what they're trying to do, and they're fighting each other. There's a tug of war over the vision for what this marriage is about. This can happen in families, and it can happen in businesses, and it certainly happens in churches. Sideways energy kept the church from putting energy into God's mission and plan. And Then we're going to begin to see throughout 1 Corinthians a downward spiral in the church. And Paul will address each of those things. He will keep it 100 with them as we go through 1 Corinthians. He'll address selfishness and immaturity and immorality that had taken over the church. See, the Corinthian church had lost sight of the goal of Jesus' unity, and they invested it in sideways energy or unhelpful energy instead. They had lost sight of it. They lost it. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't lose it. <laughs> Don't lose it. It's amazing to me how in life we've got competing calls for our attention, for what we should invest our time, our energy, and our money into. What's important? Who wins out? And it's almost like a tug of war sometimes. You can open up your phone and you'll get, you could be talking about something. You'll open up your phone and you'll get an ad for it. That's scary, isn't it? And they're trying to bend you and twist you and pull you in different directions. And the Corinthian church had lost sight of the original mission. They're beginning to follow other things. In fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, some of you, Paul is saying, are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. That was one of the leaders. Others were saying, I follow Apollos. There's another leader in the church world. Or I follow Peter. Or I follow only Christ. And people began to form groups or teams within the team. I follow Paul, which really means I'm better than those who follow Apollos or vice versa. There was an arrogance to it. And then they spent energy comparing why my leader, my teacher, my way, my church is better than your church. My brand is better than your brand. Isn't that what's happening with politics right now? And this can happen within churches today. I think my church is better than your church. And, and we throw these attitudes out, and Paul is addressing it in the church in Corinth. Some people might say, I, I listen to Stephen Furtick or MacArthur or Jakes. Or I listen to Roosh or Tulsa or Martinez or Graham's or Banks. Those are all our location pastors, by the way. <laughs> Who's better, Lakeville or Elk River or Maple Grove or Spring Lake Park? And we can get caught up in all of these us versus them when we're really on the same team. There's nothing wrong with liking a certain style of teacher or a church. The problem seeps in when we forget that we are part of the same family, the same team. We forget that our strength comes from reliance on Jesus. Jesus. Not in idolizing a particular speaker or a style of church. Jesus is our center and we are his servants. Can I get an amen to that? That's what it is. So Paul starts off his keeping it 100 with a challenge to focus on unity. Going back to verse number 10, look at that again. It says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be how many divisions in the church? No divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about how you haven't done that, essentially, is what he's saying. I want you to consider that when it comes to unity, Unity is the most important factor that Paul is addressing. The the fact that they lost unity meant that the church had lost its power. It was meant to heal the sick, to rescue broken people and families. The church was meant to receive hurting people, to see them transformed by the power of the gospel. That was what the church was supposed to be doing. But instead of doing that, the church was fighting each other. Its backs were turned to the world, and they are focusing all of their arsenal and hatred on other believers. And it was distracted, it was sideways energy. Instead of it being where God wanted it to be, it wasn't unified. I saw a meme with uh, traffic uh, in a snowstorm. And the meme said, Snowflakes are frail, but if enough of them stick together, they can stop traffic. (laughs) There's power when we come together. There's something about that. So much so that when Jesus chose to pray for us, how many of you know Jesus prayed for you? Did you know that? When he chose to pray for you, he actually prayed that you and I would have unity. Look at it in John chapter 17. I am praying not only for those disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. He's talking to the Father. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus equates our unity with each other with the unity he had with the Father, and then he says, with us. Meaning, we can't have unity with Jesus without unity with the brothers and our sisters. We have to have it. When we're caught fighting one another, when there's division in a family, when there's division in a marriage, when there's division in a community, when there's division in a nation, when there's division in a church, and they're fighting each other, there isn't unity with Jesus. And If you're listening to teaching, you're listening to voices, you're listening to podcasts, you're listening to people who gra- uh, draw a whole following about demonizing the other side, and you begin to follow them, that's sideways energy. You then can't have union with Jesus if all you're doing is fighting other people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So Jesus' prayer was that we would be one. He knows that we need unity, and unity does not equal uniformity. It doesn't mean we agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we look the same. It doesn't mean that we have the same gifts. In the kingdom of God, there are a lot of different neighborhoods, a lot of different churches. One church worships a certain way. Another church does it a different way. God has room for that in the kingdom. So if you came to me and you wanted to tell me about this church or that church in town, I would just say, hey, hey, that's God's church. That's Jesus' church. I can't talk about that church. I want the kingdom of God to prevail in that church. I'm only responsible for my, our church and what happens in the confines of our church. That's what Paul is saying to, to the church in Corinth. Listen, it's really important that you not get off track. you, you not leave the mission that you stay focused on what I've called you to do and be. In fact, in chapter 12, you'll see in 1 Corinthians 12, he begins to talk about the people of the church as members of the body. And he uses the the physical body as a metaphor for what the church is. Some people are hands, and some people are feet, and some people are ears, and even gives room for people that are awkward. Some people are unpresentable, he says, and some people, you and, they're, they're not the most prominent people, but they're all a part of one body. You're in. You're a part of the body. You're important. We need each other. Even the part of you that you don't like, it's your body. And Paul says, how can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you? I need you. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. So let me give you three things. How can we pursue unity in our relationships, families, businesses, and church? How can we see unity here in your marriage, in the world outside of here? The first thing I would say is this. Recognize God as the one in charge. Recognize God as the one in charge. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul's writing again to the church in Corinth. After all... Who is Apollos? Who's Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together With the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Listen, somebody's gonna have to set the vision. And Paul is saying, God's the one that sets the vision. God's the one that makes it all grow, He pulls it all together. Leaders in the church are only there to serve His vision. Paul is saying, listen, I planted, He watered, we're not the issue. God is the one that's in charge of this whole thing. Let's focus in on him. We we can do that practically speaking in every area of our life. If you lead a department on your job or you're a captain on your your sports team or or you you are owning a business or whatever it may be, you can lead and set vision, but you want God's blessing on it. So within the confines of what you are called to do, you need to stop and go, yeah, I'm really good at business, or I'm really good at my job, or really good at whatever it is that I do, but at the end of the day, it's God that's going to make it grow. So I submit my life to God and allow him to grow the whole thing. I'm going to do my part, and he's going to do his. It starts, though, with recognizing or submitting your heart to God. God, you're in charge. It's allowing God to do it. In marriage, we need to have a shared vision for what we're about. If you are married, we are to be mutually submitted to Jesus' vision. Submitting our hearts to Jesus' vision. It can't become a tug of war. If it becomes a tug of war to what I want or I feel or what I think to the exclusion of what you want, And we're going back and forth. All we're doing is sideways energy. But if we vertically say, God, we submit our relationship to you. You're the head of this relationship. You're the head of this home. What do you want? You give him the ability to use all of the pieces and make it grow. You still have a responsibility to love your wife, respect your husband. You still have a responsibility to do all those things, do your part. But at the end of the day, you're letting God be the one that grows it. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, some of you might be like, yeah, well, I submitted to God, but my spouse doesn't. You might be sitting there and going, the, I, I, they don't do it, but I do. And what you need to be careful of is exactly what Paul is addressing to the Corinthian church, and that is spiritual arrogance. So what? You think that gives you permission to talk negatively about them behind their back? Make other people think negatively of them? You think that that gives you permission to think yourself superior to anybody else? That it's somehow your responsibility that you're more in charge of the marriage than they are? or throw it into a tug of war. No, you can't do that. You still have to take your heart and submit it to God and say, God, it, is, it feels like I'm carrying the weight. I'm following you, and they're not. But when you turn it over to God, you, you give God the ability and the permission and the release in the relationship to take over. God, change my husband. Change my wife. You do the work. I can't do it. I submit to you. If it gets out of order and you put yourself inside into the driver's seat, then you find you to be the one that brings a wedge into the relationship. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Churches have to do the same thing. Churches have to do the same thing. Think about this. When somebody makes a decision that we don't like, what do we do with that? Well, we look at what's underneath our responsibility and say, am I doing what Jesus' vision for this is? And what is under my control? What am I responsible for? And what am I not responsible for? You might have an idea for your department lead or for the the person in charge of, of the area that you work in. You might have an idea, but you're not in charge. So what do you do with the difference? One, you pray about it. You take it to the Lord. You may make a godly appeal for those things that you think should be happening and aren't happening. But at the end of the day, if God has not given you the authority to make the decisions, then you need to let go and let God do it. Otherwise, you become a rebel. You become one that rebels against the authority of God. And God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That wasn't in my notes. The one who... Plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. If you have division in your marriage or family, the starting point is turning it over to God. How can we pursue unity in our relationships, families, business and church? Number one was recognize God as the one in charge. Number two, do your part. God will do his. Do your part. God will do his. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, 9. It's not important who does the planting, who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow for we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. In other words, he does his part building, we do our part. So Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered. In other words, I did my part. Apollos did his part, and then God built the whole church. God will do that with every part of our life. We need to do our part. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need to do your part. (laughs) You do. But the way that he's going to make us grow is really cool. I think it's amazing. In fact, there's a book uh, years ago by Henry Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud, called How People Grow. And it's about the spiritual, emotional maturing of individuals that come to Christ. How is it that we grow? And I only reference that so that you know the next couple of things that he emphasizes was what I'm sharing. He says that, and it shows God as the master gardener. God's the one that's actually growing everything. He's at work. And then he says that God's people are the best climate for our growth that the relationship of the body of Christ is where we actually go. When we're planted in God's house, it means our relationship isn't just with God or just listening to a preacher, but it's in relationship with other people. That's where we gain acceptance and forgiveness and discipleship towards change. I've been committed forever to this idea that if we're going to truly experience all that God has for us, We do need to pursue God with our best. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to pursue what God wants to do in our lives. And we need to listen to his word. But you can't just come to church, hear the word preached, and walk out and make it. I'm really convinced you actually have to have other believers. We talk about this in Growth Track. And being planted in the house of God isn't just attending a church. It's actually saying... I'm in with other sisters and brothers in Christ, even if I don't know them yet, and even if I don't like all of them. Because that's the environment where God grows you. You know, when people come into our church and they're new believers, they come into our church and they've already had a whole lifetime of being programmed into the lifestyle that they had. They, They think certain ways about their time and about their bodies and about their money, and so they this is just normal. Then they come to church, they're saved of their of their sin, they're made new creations, but they got the old programming. So how are they going to learn a different new way? Well, it's not going to be from pharisaical or uh, religious people. It's going to be from normal everyday Christians who who trust in and lean on the grace of God with their own life and you're in relationship with them. So that when they're in relationship with you, maybe they're serving on Team Emmanuel, or, or maybe they're in a connect group with you and, and uh, you're just coming all the time and you've got maturity. You've got longer legs of development, if you will. Your stride is longer. Spiritually, you're more confident. You can do more things, but they're new believers and they come in and they're like, how can you do this? This life seems so hard. But in relationship with you, they learn that you don't do everything that they used to do. They get saved and they still go party and get drunk on Saturday night because that's the old programming. But then they notice you're not going out and partying the way they do and you're not turned off by them and you're not pointing your religious finger at them. You're just living your holy life under God. They notice the difference and they want what you have. The way we grow is in relationship to other believers. It's when you're walking through life and you see somebody else who's lost a loved one and they don't fall apart. How come they didn't fall apart like I did? Why aren't they, uh, going, when, they when they go through a traumatic experience like the traumatic experience I'm going through, why aren't they emotional and shutting down and why aren't they giving up on God? It's because they've got a faith that has been developed and grown over time and the both need each other. In fact, if you're a mature believer and you've been following Jesus for a long time, don't look down and be egotistical and arrogant about new believers. They need you. And at the same time, you need them. You need to remember it's not easy. The devil is a liar. He works overtime on the next generation. That next generation needs you being faithful to Jesus. Come on, somebody. They need you to stick it out, be true to the faith. The path to growth is life together. So when we go through suffering or discipline, there's humility moments of our story, or walking through obedience, or battling sin and temptation and we're embracing truth we do it together. And when we do that and we serve together we're on the same team going in the same direction. We don't have time for judging others. That's sideways energy. We have time to stay on mission. Love people. And as the word says, love covers a multitude of sin. There's an ability within community to see people restored. As a pastor, I know that there are many people under the sound of my voice that have gone through a difficult season in your life. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you got off track. Maybe something traumatic happened to you and it sent you on a downward spiral. And I just want to say this to you. You are welcome in this church. Just because you're broken doesn't mean that you're not a part of the family. Jesus is doing his work in and through you. That's why we're talking about Getting connected. That's why we talk about growth track all the time. I want you connected. I don't want you just being in theater religion, watching a message and going home. We need each other. We need to be connected. How can we pursue unity in our relationships, families, business, and church? Recognize God as the one who's in charge. Do your part. God will do his. And third, pursue peace and allow God to restore if there's division in your story, if you feel like you're not working at some, there's sideways energy everywhere. Listen, resolution comes from the intentional actions of forgiveness and love. We can still forgive and we've got to pursue it. We need to ask God to take the pride out of our heart and humble ourselves before heaven. We need to see the imago Day, the image of God in other people. And then we need to take a step towards what Jesus called a peacemaker. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. One of our staff here at the church, Caleb Ballou, is really great at being a peacemaker. And this is one of the things that he says. He says, being a peacemaker is not the same as being passive. Passivity is like allowing weeds to just grow in your garden. Peacekeepers get rid of the weeds without destroying the flowers. Isn't that good? So we can go that final 10% of truth, but it's for your good. And as we go along through this series on 1 Corinthians, you're going to need to go the full 100. Give God access to every part of your life. Take a stab at listening to what the Word of God says. This is not a, a... you know, eternal truths are not a buffet. You can pick from here, and you can pick from there, and pick from there. There's really only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there are some parts of the Bible that are, contradict the ways of the world outside the church. There's some things in here that might make you mad. But what if you allowed God in that final 10%? What if you began to look at the Word of God and let it read into you? What if you began to follow it in obedience? And what if we did it together? That's why we had those study guides. I want you reading through the Scripture, wrestling through it, and talking about it with other believers. Let the Word of God go into activation mode as we talk to each other. Lord, help us all pursue keeping it with 100 with each other and with you. Okay. I'm going to conclude with a story I've shared before about in our journey, uh, my son Tim's second and third grade football team that I coached. I remember I was notified of the team that I was given. I wasn't there at the selection meeting. So I got all the, peop- all the kids that nobody else picked to be on their team. And it was second, third grade teams, full contact, um, they all wore pads and helmets and everything. And, and so I, they, the team shows up. We have 15 players. 13 of my players are in the second grade. Their pads weighed more than they did. And many of them, they did not want to play. Their dads were making them. Their dads were living their dream out through their son. Better watch out for that, dads. Don't get caught doing that too much. Anyhow, I get this team assembled. There's not any kids that are big enough to be what's called a red liner, which is a lineman that's heavy enough to block other people but can't carry the ball. I don't have anybody that big. I've got a team of second, third graders that are not sure if they wanna be there. And I got some dads that help me out as assistant coaches. And we go to practice, remember the very first practice, I pull them together and I'm trying to set the practice routine. This is what we're gonna do for warmups, this is what we're gonna do for drills, and this is what every practice is gonna be like. And I'm telling you, it was like herding cats. What? Nobody, I mean, it was like and inside of me as a leader, it was the hardest, most difficult leadership challenge of my life, still is to this day. It's I had to figure out how am I gonna work with these kids. And I would go and pray, and I'm like, Lord, there's so much division. Nobody, we're not, we don't have a unified picture. I got parents yelling at me on the sideline. All of them think that their, their ki- kids should be the quarterback. Nobody's happy with me. And I can't, this is hard. We were outscored 217 to seven on the year. I'm not even sure how we scored. We scored by accident. Something happened there. I'm not even sure how that happened. But I stuck with it. I, I felt like God led me to just believe in these kids and spend time with them. And even if people were disappointed with me, we'd go back out there again, and I would, I would speak life into them. I would believe in them. And we ended that year, and I thought, I'll never coach again. They won't want me. But sure enough, I got to coach the next year. And by the time Tim's second grade and third grade team got to be sixth grade, we won the championship. It was awesome. Might be one of my proudest things of my whole life, so I'll share it every once in a while. So here's, here's the thing that I know that God does with the church. Is he chooses people. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he doesn't always pick the ones everybody else will pick. You might look at yourself and go, I'm not that special. I've got a history. I'm not messed. I I don't have religious parents. I I don't know scripture. I've got bad desire. I've I've been tempted and I've sinned. You've got all of the reasons why you think you don't fit on God's team. And yet he goes, excuse me. I pick, yeah, that girl in the back and I pick you. I pick, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. And he throws us all on the team together. And we, it's like herding cats. It takes time. And as sure enough, as God works with us, he builds us into something beautiful that if we don't allow division to, to break in, he will accomplish his mission to change the world. And he'll use you to do it. You can do this as you submit to Jesus. You do your part and God will do his. And then, of course, at the end, we just trust that we can pursue peace. And he'll use us as we do that. Would you stand with me today? Hallelujah. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, we're going to go into worship. And I always talk about this moment is a part of the sermon. So when I'm done praying and we go to worship, that is actually a part of the sermon. Because that's when it goes in. We hit enter. We hit save. We say, God, let that actually go into my heart. Let the seed go in. Let it change me. Let it grow me. That's really what we're trying to do. And today... I want the seed to go in my heart and into your heart. That God would take crooked things, divisions in our heart and in our relationships and he would straighten it out. And instead of being caught up in sideways energy like the world around us is, we'd be laser focused on being Jesus' church and loving people just like he's called us to do. I want to pray that God would help us and then of course we're going to have some fun and there's food trucks and all kinds of stuff in each location. I even heard him Lakefield, they had like axe storing or something like that. They got petting zoos and all kinds of things. But really, out there uh, starts in here. May we connect to each other because of the work that God is doing in our hearts. Would you just put your hands up before heaven and just say, God, here, I'm right here, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have ancient wisdom in your word that plays out today. Thank you, Lord, to Minneapolis and St. Paul. It's not that different than Corinth. People are chasing their own wants and desires. They're getting money. They're spending money however they want. There's all kinds of systems. And Lord, honestly, in the church, it's a battle. We get distracted. There's people coming at us, wanting wanting us to get mad at other people, wanting us to call out other people. But Lord, that's sideways energy. Lord, I pray you'd help us to move away from that and lean into the mission you've called us to. And Lord, that you would change hearts and change minds. I pray specifically right now for marriages and families that are broken, that are caught in division. I pray, God, that you would, Lord, mend hearts as we submit to heaven. I pray, God, that you take arrogance out of our heart and pride out of our heart, that you take the things out of us, oh God, that would destroy the very unity that you dream of in our lives. I pray for our church, that you bring unity to Emmanuel. That you bring muni- uh, 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 unity, Lord, to all of all of the, the the age groups and all of the the nationalities represented. That you do a miracle as you call this your house of prayer for all nations. I pray, build it, do it again, Lord. I pray, God, that you push division out of our hearts. You push arrogance out of our hearts. You push pride out of our hearts. And Lord, the humility of heaven would invite the sweet, sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that unity would be like oil flowing down Aaron's beard. Lord, it would come down and Lord, it would saturate the whole body. We are yours. Let your word come alive in our lives, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out EmanuelCC.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.